Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you on this fine Friday night. Friday in the big town. Friday night in the big town. I wonder what Gary England is up to these days, now that I say that again. Uh, listeners, welcome back. I'm sorry, it's been a while since we've published an episode. As I have said previously, and will probably say again in the future, uh, this fall, this summer has been unusually hectic. And I think probably some of you are feeling that way too. In fact, I don't, I don't know, listeners, if I could speak to you directly, but does it feel like the world is heavy right now? I know a while back we did an episode about existential exhaustion, and honestly, that elicited more emails and text message responses than probably any episode we've ever done. And if that was the case, you know, four months ago, I can only imagine that it is still the case for many of you, many of us, uh, myself included. Just things feel harder, heavy. Um, And in particular, as it relates to democracy, whoo doggy, what a week we have had, um, both here in America, here in Oklahoma, and the world over. Um, You know, I'll I'll start by saying um, our hearts go out to the people of Israel, um, the and the people of, of Palestine, um, who are living under the Hamas regime and the horrific terrorist attacks that they have been waging against the Israeli people. Um, some of you know me well enough to know that my favorite monument in Washington D.C. is the FDR monument, um, and I remember the first time I went, I was walking through. You know, he was president through both world wars and um, has a bunch of his quotes that are etched on the, on the stones there. And right. One of them is I have seen war like war is hell. And um, I always stop and pause there and think about that. And that is, that was the first words that came to mind um, when the Hamas uh, lodged their first attacks just a few days ago of like, Oh man, if we are headed towards, war and we're not headed to, we're in it, right? They are actively fighting. Um, and, and hundreds of innocent people are losing lives. Um, that there's nothing good about this. There's nothing good about the midst of war. Um, and I don't know, I have no, no words. If you're not already connected to, um, a charity or an organization on the ground that would, is able to provide aid to those in need, um, please, you know, take some time, um, reach out to me. If you have questions, I'm happy to put you in contact with some good groups that have been vetted that are doing some work there. Um, I know it's not an issue that is probably pressing on some of you, right? Like you maybe are more concerned about the cost of groceries or fuel or how to get your kids to and from, um, their events and stuff. But I know a lot of you, I know a lot of my friends, um, that are Jewish, um, or Palestinian for that matter. Um, and, maybe, uh, have connections to that in a more personal way. Um, this is a very real deal. This is a very real issue for people who are living there. It sucks. It is. It sucks. I'm sorry that humans are bad. Um, I'm sorry that we started a podcast on such a horrific note, right? This is the way the world is right now. Uh, and here we are. Um, and also I think it bears saying, right. You can be, you can be pro-Israel, and you can be anti. You can be pro-Israel and pro-Palestine and anti-Hamas. And there's, 
it's a very complicated situation um, in the larger historical context. But terrorism is terrorism. And I think we can all point that out as being terrible. Um, America has been the victim of that, right? In my lifetime and in yours, um, and trying to understand how to re- how to respond appropriately, what that looks like is uh, a, a huge question. Um, and if your heart's not heavy about it, then I would think you're probably approaching it wrong <laughs> um, for what that's worth. So, um, okay, just wanted to say that before we get going. This week's episode will be a little bit different. We don't have a script. We're going unscripted. Um, it is me in the studio and one of our fall policy and research fellows, Cooper Marshall. Hello, Cooper. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm Cooper, excited. This is your first time behind the mic. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I've, I don't think I've ever reported, recorded a podcast before. All right. Yeah. You are a journalism major at OU? Yeah. I'm a journalism senior minoring in social justice at OU. Yeah. Right. That's our kind of person. Cool. <laughs> uh, listeners, you may have seen an email or two that have been authored by Cooper so far this this semester. Um, he is one of two fellows we have this fall. Um, the other one, Savannah Slayton, is out of town this week, so we will have her on in a future episode. Um, it just so happened that Cooper and I were uh, cleaning up around the office, and uh, he had never even seen our podcast studio. And I thought, hey, today is a good day for us to... Uh, Take some time to to record, um, Cooper. I'm gonna, th- th- we'll do this back and forth. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have a conversation. I'll ask questions. You ask questions. We'll both give answers. Maybe make a few jokes, uh, and then we'll wrap up in a little bit. Does that sound okay? Sounds great. I love great. Jokes. Listeners, yeah. if you have questions, uh, write them down and send them on an email, and we'll answer them at a future date. Oh, and before we go any further, I think uh, this is a good time to speak about those future dates. So, oh, we have even a sound effect for this. (laughs) Listeners, get out your calendar apps, your pen and pencil, whatever you use. Cooper's getting out his right now. Um, November 30th. All right, that is a Thursday. Thursday, November 30th at, I think, 6 p.m. Mark your calendars. We are going to have our 250th podcast episode celebration a podcast party so far that's the best i've got a podcast party it's going to be at factory obscura um this is the first place that we are formally announcing it which seems appropriate since you listeners are our podcast audience however this is going to be uh, a much bigger deal uh, we would love to have you come and have you invite your friends some special guests some audience participation it will be a live podcast event um, that will be there. It'll be in the uh, the East Bay. So not in the, if you've been to Factory Obscura in Oklahoma City on 9th Street, um, you know, it's a funky art, uh, immersive art experience. And the whole mixtape installation is kind of on your left as you go in, right? On the west half of the building. On the east half of the building, they have special exhibits. There's a really cool one there right now that'll be ending uh, by the time that November 30th rolls around. We're going to be in there. Um, I don't have all the details to announce just yet. I'm waiting for some confirmation um, back from some guests, but this is this is an official save the date. Does that sound good? Yeah, I'm, I was just going to say, I've, I've been to a concert there before. Really? Um, yeah, it was with, um, who was it? Lane and the Laters and uh, Sweetest Pot. 
Uh, it was great. I loved the space. It's awesome. really cool. cool. Looking forward to it. Yeah, they've really done some cool things in that East Bay. They have. Um, which is why we're going to be in there. And I, from my conversations with them, some of their staff has always wanted to host a live <laughs> podcast event. Uh, so this is a great opportunity. Yeah. They do a lot of different stuff there. Like I know they have like open mic sometimes. So, oh, yeah. nice. Cool. Be cool. Uh, Cooper, that may be a position or an opportunity for you to be our producer and be behind the the mixing board here and get to do stuff for us if you're interested in that. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Great. Listeners, uh, November 30th, 6 p.m., Factory Obscura. Let's pod this 250. It's going to be super exciting. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Now, moving on, um, let's talk about... I don't There's. It's hard to say what the big news is related to democracy in America today, but... It seems like what's happening in Congress might be significant, mostly because it's literally never happened before in the history of the country. Cooper, do you know what I'm referring to? Talking about the, uh, the Speaker of the House? The Speaker of the yeah. House, or the lack thereof. Yeah, <laughs> there still isn't one. Right, no, yeah. So the um, uh, Speaker McCarthy, as I'm sure many of you know, was uh, effectively removed by uh, the members of Congress, there was a small contingent of Republicans led by Representative Matt Gates um, to essentially not have a not a vote of no confidence, but a um, a vote to vacate. He filed a motion to vacate the position of the the speaker, and it was successful. And now there's no speaker, and we don't know who the next speaker is going to be. It's a real mess. Yeah. Well, isn't, hasn't there been, um, there's, um, who's, who, isn't there a stand-in right now? Or what's, what's the situation yeah, right good. now? Yeah, See, this is why you're a good journalism student. <laughs> That's a good question, Cooper. Uh, there is a sort of stand-in. So the speaker pro tem, um, or pro tempore, mm-hmm. is um, a man named Patrick McHenry. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen, I posted the video of him whacking the mallet, like so hard, the gavel right after McCarthy was removed uh, and, and McHenry was, he was uh, appointed to be kind of the stand-in speaker pro tem, mm-hmm. right? Temporary. He has very limited powers. So he can basically only call for a vote for a speaker, right? Yeah. He can't actually lead the House of Representatives in any business. Mm. So all legislative business is on hold. Okay. Indefinitely. All right. Um. There was another big issue that was before Congress, just like a week before McCarthy was removed. Do you remember what that might have been? You're talking about the, the government almost shutting down? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Right. The government almost shut down because they couldn't pass a budget deal. Yeah. And the way they got through that was McCarthy said, we're passing this deal. Uh, and they did. And that was the thing that Gates said, if you pass this deal, I'm going to move to vacate the chair. And McCarthy said, I can't let the government shut down. So he didn't. So he got kicked out. And that that uh, budget deal was temporary. It just goes into November. Yeah. So now we have no speaker. We're headed towards a government shutdown. And there seems to be imminently a Middle East war breaking out. Yes. Yeah. Good, good time for us to not <laughs> be together. Yeah, it's great. Um, Cooper, I, I know that... Um, political science is not your key background, mm-hmm. but you're a smart man. Do you know anything about Congress's relationship to, I don't know, military action that this might be relevant? 
Um, not really. I'm not. It's okay very, if you I'm, don't. No, yeah. I'm, I'm just, honestly, I'm not very knowledgeable in how like national war, like um, how right. that's besides you know knowing about you know, like, um, like just the president and the, exec- the executive branch's role in that. I don't right. really know. I don't even know if yeah what legislative's role is. Yeah, well, that. this is interesting because there are uh, two schools of thought on this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, according to the Constitution, at least as far as I understand, and I'm sure listeners will let me know if I'm wrong, but um, technically, well, according to the Constitution, the power to declare war is vested in Congress, right? That Congress has mm-hmm. to be the entity, the branch of government that declares war on another nation. However, that hasn't happened, I don't think, since World War II. Every every war since then, um, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Kuwait, all these, mm-hmm. you know, Afghanistan, those have all been essentially executive actions, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the president does have some power for certain military actions, but this is like a long contested issue is that we have for decades now, right? For 50 years, 70 years, have engaged in war without ever declaring war, which at that point, right? How long do you have to like wage war before someone's like, well, we didn't actually declare war. Yeah. Like, <laughs> doesn't count. But in this situation... Um, the ability for Congress to appropriate money for additional military actions and certainly to declare war can't happen without a speaker. And so for a country, the U.S., who has been one of Israel's most significant and prominent partners and allies mm-hmm. for decades, I mean, again, since like World War II, right? Yeah. Um, this is a really big deal because it limits our ability as a country to provide some aid and assistance and back up and especially if if things escalate further yeah um can i ask you cooper like on a personal level and i'm going to ask you to speak for (laughs) people your age um broadly which i know is probably not the ideal position you want to be in but um is this um are any of these things is the the government shutdown is the lack of a speaker is the conflict in the middle east are any of these topics things that college students in your circles are discussing at all right now or not at all uh yeah definitely i mean like in classes um i know it's been it's been brought up in mine but like the um yeah the uh, israeli conflict right now yeah um uh and then also like you know i am a journalism student so of course like you know pretty biased there we're like pretty much most of the people like especially like junior seniors around my age like very like kind of in tune with what's going on right now um and then i'm also part of the the ou daily student paper and we always have like news playing in the background so sure so you, you know, see it when you're in the office and yeah stuff all the so, time. Like, so like i was there whenever president biden uh said like we stand with israel yeah i was there in the newsroom yeah that happened um uh and then i've also but also i've talked to some of my friends um and and depending on the class it has been brought up um I have personally, though, like, at least with my friends, I have not really, like, talked about it with mm-hmm. people. Like, I was, like, I remember I, I told my friends, like, oh, like, did you hear McCarthy's out? And they're, like, who? Who's McCarthy? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, we have no speaker of the house. They're, like, okay, cool. Right. They, so, yeah, how does that affect me? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But definitely, like, as far as, like, I'm sure, you know, like, journalism students, we've been eating it up. And, like, yeah. I'm sure poli-sci is also, but I don't, you know. Right. That's not my my field. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I mean, I, that's always curious, right? Like, I yeah. I was on, on a call this week with a colleague who was talking about some of these issues, some other political issues, and uh, they are someone who is somewhat new to politics, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm not an old hat here <laughs> myself, but um, 
even in the conversation, I was like, oh, they think everyone is talking about these things. And I bet they're not, right? I, I think if you polled Americans or did man on the street interviews, yeah, for sure, not a majority would even know who um, Kevin McCarthy is, yeah, right? Um, they might think he's an actor, or they might yeah. just said his name. <laughs> but if you ask people to name the Speaker of the House, if they can name anybody, it might be a past Speaker, but that could be anybody from Nancy Pelosi to yeah. Newt Gingrich, right? So yeah. like. Um, these are not, this is not necessarily issues top of mind for most voters. And yet, like it, ha- it does have significant consequence for aspects of our life we just don't think about. Yeah. I think about this kind of stuff a lot, right? That nationally, for sure, and, and even more so here at the state level, right? The decisions that are made by our elected leaders, mm-hmm. and everybody in Congress was elected by somebody. Yeah. That, these issues, um, that the, their presence in their position, the decisions they make, really do have an impact on our lives, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, like, this is why voting is important, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I will say, um, I actually did speak into that. Like, um, I did hear a lot more about the government shutdown because mm-hmm. um, some of my friends were like, oh, how will this, like, affect me? Like, what does this even mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so like you know stuff like um, college relief or like um, federal grants and stuff. Yeah. Um, that was I know that was brought up a couple times. Um, I have a friend who worked for like a public institution that. Yeah. He was like concerned he wouldn't get paid if it shut down. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I know a lot of people were. That's probably out of the 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 three like events that we've kind of discussed. That's definitely the one I've heard most about from young people or like people my age. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I when I worked for uh, university, we I worked for a federally funded program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through the last two, I think two government shutdowns, or at least one shutdown, and then there was the whole sequestration thing that came out of the other shutdown that really did have like a tangible, like had a financial impact on our mm-hmm. programs. And I mean, I'd lost staff over it, right? Like we, I had to go in and have a conversation with, three of our staff to say, listen, um, your positions are directly federally funded. Yeah. If the government shuts down, we're going to have to like furlough you. You'll still be employed. Mm. You can come back whenever the government gets their act together. Yeah. But temporarily, you know, you won't, you'll be out. And then, yeah. And then we think you'll get paid back pay for the time you're out. Yeah. Um, and that was like a very difficult, like one was a mom of two kids. Yeah. One was pregnant at the time. Uh, and the third guy was a dad that had kids, and he, about a week later, voluntarily left um, for another job that was not federally funded so that he could, because he, we had kind of talked through it and like, if he left, then the other two could stay and we would have enough resources to cover him. Mm. And I was like, this was not something I went to school to have this. This is a hard conversation to be like, hey, listen, yeah. uh, the folks in Washington are having a squabble. Yeah. And that means you don't get paid. Right. Yeah, and like, exactly. Yeah. Then everyone's like, I thought this didn't affect me until it does. Yeah. Yeah, which is the case with most policies, right? Yeah, it yeah, it definitely was interesting because I definitely found out more about like where like you know, like I'm I'm a student worker, mm-hmm. um, and like I asked my boss, I was like, hey, like what happens with the shutdown? Like she was like, oh, like this is state funded, but there are certain like positions, like like most student jobs are like state funded, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. some are not. So yeah. yeah, I have some friends that work for the federal agencies, mm-hmm. and they were like, uh, it was just 
they kind of waited and waited and waited until just right beforehand because so many of these shutdowns, like they get to the 11th hour and pass it at midnight and it's fine. Yeah. But it was like two days out and it seemed like it was not going to, there was not going to be a solution. Yeah. And so they're like, well, we're having an all staff briefing on what this means. And basically it's like by Sunday, like we'll call you and you may not come in on Monday because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And she was like, this is no way to run a country. I I, I agree. Um, well, uh, Cooper, let's talk about a couple of other um, state-level things here, and uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about you, okay. and then we'll be done. Sound good? Sounds great. Um, listeners, you may or may not know that uh, earlier this week on, um, what was that, the 10th? Uh, on Tuesday, there was an election in several cities uh, around the state. It was a special election. Um, perhaps most notably, at least one of the higher profile races was a primary election for state Senate District 32, which is down in uh, Lawton area. It's like the it's like the north and western half of Lawton, up into the rural area. So Medicine Park, if you've been to the Wichita's, like mm-hmm. all that area, um, Elgin. There's a bunch of small towns out yep. there. Um, so that area, state Senate District. This was. Formerly represented by Senator John Michael Montgomery, who recently accepted a position for the Lawton Fort Sill Chamber of Commerce. He's the CEO or executive director, whatever it is. So he stepped down from his role with the legislature, which prompted this special election. So this was just the primary, right? So to select the um, Republican and Democratic nominees, there's not any independents or libertarian candidates, I don't think. Um so as with all primary elections in Oklahoma, the Democratic primary was open to Democrats and independents, and the Republican primary was limited to only um, only Republicans. Um, so the w- winners there that will advance to the general election is a Democrat named uh, Larry Bush. Um, from what I've read online, Larry is a former OU football player. And he, I think, has an insurance agency called Larry Bush Insurance in Lawton, and I guess some kind of real estate business. And um, so he's apparently, from what I've heard, someone whose people in Lawton's name they kind of know. Um, and um, he, I think he's run, according to this non-doc article, he's run for the legislature twice before for the House. Um, he ran in 2018 and 2020. Uh, and, and lost those two times. So he's running again. So it's not uncommon to see someone with um, a history of running for office, right? To like come back at it and keep trying. Yeah. Heck, uh, Abraham Lincoln, classic example, <laughs> lost Senate bid, lost his first presidential bid before he ever won. Um, so that's not uncommon. And then um, the Republican nominee, his name is, uh, last name is Devers, which is first name. Dusty, Dusty Devers, D-E-E-V-E-R-S. He is a pastor of Grace Community Church in, I think it's pronounced Elgin, but I'm not positive. He also owns some kind of business called Devers Properties. Um, and uh, he is a uh, self-proclaimed conservative. His campaign rhetoric was also very conservative. Um, he I, has built himself as a constitutional conservative and in one of his campaign videos, he said that men, quote, men who love the Lord and love this country have a duty to rise up 
like so many others who have gone before us, not only to expose and fight the evils coming after our children and the people that we love, but also to establish justice and a brighter future. Um, which is, I don't know, it doesn't really say a lot. Um, <laughs> from what I've also heard, like his, I think his campaign rhetoric had a lot of comments about wanting to like, I don't know if it actually like wanted to outlaw divorce, but I think to outlaw no fault divorce so that every divorce would have a fault, which has some other implications there. Um, and then I think all the other like social cultural issues that kind of align. Um, but I, from what I understand, he, I mean, he won not by a landslide. Um, he, uh, um, but enough. There was roughly 2,800 votes, I think, that were cast in this vote. Um, uh, and he won only 37% of the GOP vote. But again, because we use uh, first past the post, right? So like in a primary, it's like whichever um, candidate gets ahead of the others. Um, and this is an special election because there's not a runoff. So whoever gets the most votes in the primary wins. He only got 37%, which means 63% of voters, Republican voters wanted somebody else. Yeah. And yet he wins. So he goes on to the general. So he's not particularly popular among Republicans. However, we'll see how that plays out in the general. Um, so there's, oh, excuse me, 3,800 votes in that Republican primary. Um, Bush won handedly on the Democratic side. He got 73% of the votes. And, um, but there was only like 1,200, 1,300 votes in that. So altogether, that's some quick math says, beep, boop, beep, boop, boop, like just over 5,000 votes cast in the, oh, wow. in both races combined. Yeah. Um, Cooper, do you know how many people live in a state Senate district? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. This is a pop quiz here. Okay. That's, <laughs> um, uh, so there's a 82,000 in each okay. state Senate district. And in general, about half of those are registered to vote. Uh, so that's like a pretty typical average. So, you know, roughly 40,000 registered voters, mm-hmm. but only 5,000 turned out to vote. So it's like, was it like 12% or something? That's no, a very tiny percent um, of turnout. Yeah. I was I was going to ask, like, how many people was that, like, that turned out for that? So that's, Yeah. So uh, roughly 5,000 out of 40,000 who could. Yeah. Which is very small. And that's like you know, one eighth, so very little. Yeah. Um, and then while well, people will say, well, that's a primary, so more folks will vote in the general. But I don't know. It's a special election. Turnout is always pretty low. It is. Yeah, definitely. So the the general election for this will be December 12th. Okay. Um, I think, uh, listeners, if you are interested in helping get out the vote, for one, I just say Comanche County has historically had the lowest voter turnout of any county in Oklahoma for the last decade or so, almost every election. Uh, last year, their turnout rate in Comanche County was only like 39%, um, like in the gubernatorial election, which was very low. It was by far the lowest of any county. And so I think we're, we may be trying to um, do some get-out-the-vote activities um, down there just to get people to vote. This is all nonpartisan. Yeah. Um as with all of our activities, we'll be targeting groups of voters that tend to be underrepresented. So women, um, voters of color, and and younger voters. Um, if you are interested in volunteering and helping with that, please um, go to, you know, send us an email at podcast at letsfixthis.org or 
um, just go to our website, letsfixthis.org, and um, click on volunteer and fill out the form, and we will go from there. Make sure you're on our list, and we'll we'll reach out when we have some opportunities for that. So anyway, that's a big deal. Also on the December election, and we'll talk much more about this as we get closer, um, that will be the general for this race in Lawton, Edmond, uh, House District 39, formerly held by Ryan Martinez. Their primary will be December 12th. And for everybody who lives within Oklahoma City city limits, um, there will be the vote about the new Thunder Arena deal. I, I got a question about that, actually. I, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've talked with a lot of people. Do you know, um, like, how how big is, like, for voting, at least, like, how mm-hmm. big is the Oklahoma City limits? Like, what what areas are included in that? Yeah, so, well, it's everything within Oklahoma City limits, which is most of Oklahoma County, mm-hmm. unless you live in, like, Moore or Bethany or Village or Nichols Hills, any of those other towns that... Mm-hmm are kind of like embedded within Oklahoma City. Yeah. You don't get to vote in this. Okay. Um, which is funny, right? Like if you live in the village, you think of yourself as part of the Oklahoma City area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this election is only for Oklahoma City residents. Interesting. Um, so the way to know is if you have a big blue trash can, if you have a city of Oklahoma City trash can, mm-hmm. then this applies to you. Okay. So you might, um, you might live, you know, like up near Edmond, um, your kids might go to Edmond schools, something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you, I think this is the the way I've always heard it described is if you have a big blue trash can, <laughs> then you are an Oklahoma City resident. Yeah. And thus you will be eligible to vote in this election. Mm. Um, as far as like number of people, uh, there's, I'll have to look it up, but like Oklahoma County has 700 or 800,000 people. And I would imagine if you, subtract those other little towns from Oklahoma County, but then you add in the areas of Oklahoma city that go into other counties. Mm-hmm. It's probably about that. Yeah. Um, I think the population of Oklahoma city is like around 700,000. So again, if maybe half of those are registered voters, you're looking at 350,000, 400,000 voters. Oh, wow. Okay. But I, I would guess that turnout is going to be, pretty low right oh, like of course yeah five percent ten percent i think yeah. a lot of like municipal elections end up being around ten percent hmm. um so we might be looking at just a few thousand votes right yeah i think mayor holt in the mayoral election um last time i think he i don't know if he won with nineteen thousand votes or that was the total number cast but it was oh wow are you serious yeah it was like not low this is why Listeners, if any of you somehow are listening to this podcast and feel like your vote doesn't count, it really does. It really does. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Um, So in the 2022 nonpartisan mayoral election... Oh, no, I was way off. Sorry. Okay. Um, Thank God I was way off. But uh, David Holt received 36,338 votes. Okay. So he won with 60% of the vote. Yeah. Um, But still, only 36,000. So that's... Uh, I mean, roughly 10%, right? Yeah. Um, the total number of votes cast in that election, there's four candidates. Um, so total, it was just over, uh, just shy of 61,000 votes. So um, that's still a pretty small number. Yeah. In uh, as Oh, this is what I'm thinking of. In contrast, four years prior, in 2018, mm-hmm. so in the before the 
pandemic. Yeah. Um, when Holt ran, I think the first time for um, mayor initially, he won with twenty thousand four hundred nine oh votes. Right. Only only twenty five thousand twenty six thousand votes cast yeah. that time. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So on the plus side, <laughs> turnout went up from twenty eighteen to twenty twenty two. Um, a lot of that had to do with some of the um, high-profile op- opponents he had mm-hmm. um, last year. But, yeah, still, when you've got races like that that are so small, right? Yeah. Like, these are still low numbers. Yeah. So, I and this is, at least with this, you had the energy behind a personality. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the arena is as motivating. Yeah. I mean, the only motivator would be, like, for someone who is like maybe like a big fan of the Thunder, maybe right. like, like you have like that brand behind it, right? But or the opposite too. Someone who's well, not a fandom may not factor in. I know a lot of Thunder fans who are skeptical of the deal. Yes, right? like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I guess like yeah. E- either way, it's just the brand recognition of the right. Thunder. But I don't even know if that's like. I'm trying to think if like I haven't even seen much about the vote really. Like no, I don't imagine we'll see much until like. Yeah. December 1st. Yeah, definitely. And then we'll see it everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They, um, most voters don't pay attention to stuff until just like within three weeks of an election Mm -hmm. is like when people really start paying attention. Yeah. They might notice stuff before, but it like the stickiness of that information tends to wane as time Uh goes on, which is why like most get out the vote activities are in those like last few weeks. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's more, and we will certainly uh, have more information about that issue uh, and those races as we get closer to it. Um, it'll be very interesting. Um, and then there's been a lot of conversation, I think, at the state level um, about budget cuts over yeah. the last year, yep. right? Yep. Um, Cooper, do you remember... Any any details about a special session that the governor wanted to call? Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember it all. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> talked uh, about uh, one of my classes. Is, was it a uh, like just like about um, taxes? Yep, yeah, yep, yep. yeah, yeah. So the governor, even back during the regular session, was like really pushing for a decrease in the state income tax. Well, the elimination of the state yeah, income tax, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, um, and he called a special session for that purpose. And then, uh, a, and this was actually the second special session of this year because the legislature called their own concurrently with the regular session, which Stitt claimed was illegitimate and that <laughs> went nowhere. Um, but he called the special session for a very specific reason, and that was to have the legislature come back and to pass tax cuts. Um, yeah. And essentially, lay the groundwork for a phased elimination of the personal income tax. Mm. Um, but it didn't go as the governor planned. <laughs> did you no, guys talk no, about this at all not. in your class? No, not really. <laughs> I, I, I knew it happened. I just didn't know what the results of it were. Yeah. So, yeah. So as, um, as you may know, Cooper and listeners may remember the governor and the legislature don't always see eye to eye. <laughs> Definitely not. And, in the past, like during regular session, both the House and the Senate were kind of aligned against the governor on a number of things. Yeah. Um, and that we started to see a little bit of a change in that um, with this special session. The leader of the Senate, pro tem Greg Treat, said, hey, well, if you've got specific things you want, 
Mr. Governor, why don't you come and present to us and tell us what they are? And like invited the governor to come and do a presentation to the Senate, uh, the full Senate or just to the committee, um, but like basically come and tell us what you want. And the governor did not. He didn't, he didn't ever decline. He just held a press conference at the same time the Senate was going into session. And he, and a reporter asked, right? A good journalist said, mm-hmm. hey, are you going to their hearing? And he said, no. He's like, no, I'm not going. And so the pro tem, uh, you know, two floors up was like, yeah. oh, okay, I guess he's not coming. And so they essentially gaveled in and gaveled out. Like they really didn't... Uh, didn't do anything. It was like a in and out. Okay. They didn't hear any bills. They didn't really discuss anything. They just quit. Said, yeah. <laughs> well, if he's not going to show up, we're not going to do anything. We didn't want to come back. He wanted us to come back. If he's not going to come talk to us, why are we even here? Yeah. And so it was really like trying to call his bluff on this. Mm-hmm. Well, so that press conference right beforehand was the governor and the speaker and the chair of the Republican Party, who is... State Senator Nathan Dom, mm-hmm. who some of you may know from Comedy Central, <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, they laid out kind of a plan with some graphs that were just mis- um, misleading due to like omission of details, right? Yeah, like, yeah. They showed what they showed, but they left out a lot of important, relevant details here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the graphs was like a line graph that just had two points and. My math teachers always say you need two points to make a line, but three to make a trend. Yeah. And I was like, well, you only have two points and you're trying to argue for a trend. So yeah. <laughs> um, he didn't pass a Mr. Hertz eighth grade math class. <laughs> so the um, so the, the house came in and I think they're still technically in special session. They gaveled out to the call of the chair, which just means they can come back whenever they want. Okay. Um, but the speaker said... Um, you know, like he is also interested in tax cuts, mm-hmm. tax relief, right? Yeah. Um, but they've been, they've had some specific proposals, but haven't decided on anything. And since the Senate is gone, there's nothing the House can do besides like have hearings about it. Mm-hmm. So now we just kind of wait. Yep. Wait and see. <laughs> All right. And I don't know. I'm trying to, I, I, listeners, I apologize. I think the, I have a nagging sense in my head that the house may have formally ended the special session now as well, but that I may be wrong. Maybe they're still hanging out. I'm trying to find it. I yeah. Cooper's Googling well, as see. well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll see regardless, like nothing is happening with that until next year for sure. Now I think we'll for sure see this come up next year. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I think we should keep our eye on um, in coming weeks is the le- the Board of Legislative Compensation or Legislative Compensation Review Board, I think is what it's called. This is a board of non-legislators who are appointed to review how much legislators get paid and if they should get a mm-hmm. pay increase, right? Yeah. Um, Cooper, do you have a guess at how much our state legislators make? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to guess around like uh, like 80K, maybe? Ooh. 60K? Nope. Keep going down. Keep going down. 40K. A little bit higher. You're close now. Okay. Four, 47.5. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, plus um, some, so they get all the benefits and allowance 
for other state employees. I think they, mm-hmm. maybe they get insurance, they get some you know, retirement, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was raised a few years ago to 47,500 base. Um, members of leadership make a little bit more. There's mm-hmm. a per diem, like for folks that drive from out of town, that yeah. help cover that cost. Um, in your opinion, Cooper, is that high, low, or just right? That's pretty low, I'd say. Okay. What makes you, like, what are you based on? Like, how, what, what about it feels low to you? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm basing it on my own, like, yeah, yeah. perception. This is great. Of, this is, um, I want a regular person's opinion. Yeah. Because, you know, I graduated in December, so I've been job hunting. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, that is, like, pretty, like, from what I've seen, like, for, like, like, just, like, the average, like, job of doing something along those lines, mm-hmm. like, um, that's, like, pretty entry level. Yeah. Um, uh, I've, I've seen other jobs that like would be even like, I don't know, they'd pay a bit more than that. Right. Like even for like journalism doesn't pay that much either. Right. Right. Um, but some of the jobs I've seen do pay more than that. So, yeah. Does it change your opinion if you consider that the legislative session itself is only four months long? That changes it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's it's only you only working those four months and then, well that's debatable. Okay. Yeah, but I think that's this is the conversation, right? Is that yeah? Well then, if if we're talking about yeah, like how much? Then I guess it depends on like how much work, um, legislators are doing. Um, and that and, varies quite a bit based on person. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, NCSL, the National um, Conference of State Legislatures, has a. Um, uh, has a table with all of the state's salaries, like base salary, mileage, and any other per diem rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you that, like, most states are around that. Oklahoma's not the lowest. Okay. Um, I mean, there's, like, West Virginia pays 20000 a year. Some states, like Utah, pay $285 per legislative day. Texas only pays $7,200. Um, they, um, but they get a lot of money for staff. Um, New York pays 110,000. Um, so there's like a big range, but most states are in the, I think upper thirties to mid forties, Massachusetts is 70,000. Maryland is 50. Maine is 15. Um, a lot of variation here. What's New Hampshire. I'm curious. New Hampshire is only one hundred dollars, but um, and they get mileage, no per diem. Um, the thing that's funny about um, New Hampshire is that there's like four hundred members of their state legislature. Um, oh wow! And you can serve in the legislature and on the school board at the same time, and I think be a poll worker, like all the same. That time. is so wild. Yeah, yeah New okay, Hampshire. Cool. New Hampshire's a whole other thing, right? <laughs> They are a very unique system. Yeah. Um, but this conversation is like bigger, right? So different states handle legislative schedules in different ways. Yeah. Um, in most states, the legislative session is not year round. So there's an expectation that elected officials will have some other job. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's, it's tough to find a job that would let you take off work for four months. And potentially a lot more because there's others, there's interim studies, there's yeah. special sessions, there's yeah. 
all the other things you need to do, like visiting with your constituents. And so, you know, I think the structure of legislatures was designed a hundred or 200 plus years ago. Yeah. When society looked very different. Yes. Um, but even to hear you, right? You're like, I'm a new college graduate and this as a job is not particularly appealing to me because it's not a lot of money. Yeah. And you'd have to go find other employment. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Which can be tricky sometimes. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, yeah. So I'll be curious to see what they say. I wouldn't be surprised if they just made a minor increase based on like cost of living. Yeah. Um, but I think this is also part of why we have, you know, a disproportionate number of clergy or farmers or what, like people who, and just like entrepreneurs in general. Like yeah. People who set their own schedule. Yeah. Um, insurance agents, like that kind of thing, who's like, if they control their own schedule, then they can come serve in the legislature. Yeah. But that alone then is not reflective of most people, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, we can't have any, like, to, if you're a teacher, you have to obviously leave your teaching profession to go be in the legislature because you can't. Yeah, you can't. Miss the spring semester exactly. every year. Exactly, right? yeah. Um, and in some cases that's happened when they, in some cases they got raises, right? <laughs> like leaving education to go in the legislature. Yeah. So I think I think we as citizens, right, need to think critically about what we expect out of our elected officials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, uh, listeners, I think that kind of wraps it up. Cooper, any final thoughts before we wrap up for today? No, I just appreciate you having me on the pod. Of course. Uh, well, to you and to our listeners, I will say next time we'll have an actual outline and a little more structure to our <laughs> conversation. Um, uh, and again, please mark your calendars. November 30th, we're very excited about this. There will definitely be an agenda and a structure to that show. I'm super stoked. I'm working on it already. Um, Scott uh, and I have a conversation. We have a meeting tomorrow or this weekend, I think. We're going to talk about the, uh, the event. Um, it's going to be a really good time. Um, listeners, if you haven't already found a way to get involved in helping get out the vote for one of the races, any of the races that will be happening on December 12th, please reach out and let's make that happen. This is a great test case, a great opportunity to be involved in helping shape the future of our state. As we have said throughout this episode, the number of votes being cast is way low, way lower than you expect. And that means that we have an outsized ability to make an impact, right? We have a great opportunity. So thanks so much. Have a great weekend and we'll see you soon.